Now, our Bible reading this morning is taken from Jeremiah chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 through to 9. Let's hear the word of God. For those online, the words will come up on screen. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Let's hear God's word. Jeremiah 14, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. Judah mourneth, and the gates thereof languish. They are black unto the ground. And the cry of Jerusalem is gone up. And their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. Because the ground is chapped. For there was no rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yea, the hind also calved in the field and forsook it because there was no grass. And the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. O the hope of Israel, the saviour thereof in time of trouble. Why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land? And as a wafering man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why shouldest thou be as a man astonished? As a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us. And we are called by thy name. Leave. Us not. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this portion of the Holy Scriptures that we have read together. May the Lord be pleased to bless to us this infallible and inerrant word. Now, my text this morning is taken from Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. And I've entitled this message. The greatest crisis facing the church and the country. Now let me begin today with a series of simple questions. And the heart of the questions is this. What is the greatest crisis that the church of Jesus Christ can face today? And are we country? Let me ask you, is it a political crisis? And the answer is no. And despite that answer, no, there is, of course, a political aspect to this crisis that I want to talk about. Isn't it so sad that political leaders and those in government and those that make decisions are not only godless and lawless individuals in themselves, but are bent in evil and iniquity? And that was true in Judah's day. And I want to tell you this morning, it's true in our day. We'll ask another question. Is it a constitutional crisis? And the answer to that is no. 
And that is despite there being a, a constitutional aspect to the crisis. You see, often in the midst of a crisis, borders can become blurred. A sense of identity lost. A sense of belonging can become obscured. And wasn't that true in the formation of Northern Ireland? Wasn't that true in the constitutional home rule crisis? Wasn't that true in the early establishment of a party here in Northern Ireland? Hasn't that been true for 40 years of hell-inspired murder and mayhem by the IRA? Wasn't that true in the establishment of a border down the Irish Sea? You see, Northern Ireland, sadly in its 101-year history, has seemed to lurch from one destabling constitutional crisis to another. Is it an economic crisis? The answer is no. It is not the greatest crisis that the church or a country could face. However, there is an aspect of the economic crisis that's included in this greatest crisis. There's a link. They're intertwined. You see, in Jeremiah's day, a severe drought, a severe famine had engulfed the land of Judah. Food supply was scarce. There was no water, no rain. The, the ground was baked hard. Plowmen were unable to break up the uh, fallow ground. Uh, the the uh, plowmen were ashamed. The, the hinds calved in the field and they forsook their young because there was no grass. The uh, wild ass sniffed at the wind to catch a sense of vegetation, a sense of grass, a sense of moisture, but to no avail. People were starving. Here's a time of devastation, a time of great distress. Here are the effects of famine on the economy in Jeremiah's day. And do we not face economic hardship today? A time of rising food prices? A time of paying more for energy? Fuel costs like gas and oil and electricity have been hiked and they're getting higher and higher. And I want to tell you, it's only really the beginning of economic woe and trouble. I have to tell you faithfully there's worse to come. And in the days prior to the coming of Christ, one of the great signs is an economic, an economic sign of debt. Let me ask something else. Is it a moral crisis? The greatest crisis, you know, is not a moral one. However, there is a moral aspect to this crisis. Remember Jeremiah? He sees the harrowing condition of the land on a physical level. And he's asking, what's the root cause? This distress, this devastation, this dearth. And what does he do? He, 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 he turns to the Lord in prayer. And in prayer, he, he makes an honest confession of sin. Listen to chapter 14, verse 7. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. And I want to tell you, what we need to do as Northern Ireland faces a moral crisis is to turn to the Lord in prayer and make an honest confession of sin. You see, we live in a day of godlessness, a day of lawlessness. You think of our MLAs at Stormont, and they have voted for abortion of innocent babies in the womb right up to birth. They have voted for the aborting of Down syndrome babies. 
babies with cleft palates, right up to birth. Sinn Féin, SDLP, the Green Party, the Alliance Party, they are not pro-life parties. They have voted for a bill to criminalize, to introduce censorship zones around abortion clinics and hospitals recently. It's now a criminal offense to go there to pray, to preach the word of God, to offer pastoral support to women. And that's only one aspect of the moral malady that Northern Ireland faces. We could add in the introduction of sodomy and transgenderism and gender selection into school, and a host of other godless ideas. All for what? To, to support and, and appease a minority in the LGBT community. And under the guise of rights and equality, these have been introduced. And I want to plead with you this morning. And I plead with you in this way. And I'm not introducing politics into the pulpit this morning. In this election that's coming, don't vote for parties or MLAs who support abortion in any way. Ask yourself a critical question. Where does the MLA that I'm going to vote for stand regarding the murder of babies in the womb? Someone asked me just the other day, was I surprised at the stance of Sinn Féin? And I said no for this reason, because remember, they supported and encouraged the murder of our people for 40 years in this province. But I am surprised at the nationalist SDLP. But remember, God knows. God sees. God hears. And he says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Now listen to me carefully. If the greatest crisis facing our church and country is not political, it's not constitutional, it's not economic, and it's not moral, well, what is it? Well, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Jeremiah, O hope of Israel, the saviour thereof, in time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land and as a wafering man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why shouldest thou be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save? We'll pause there. You see, it's spiritual. The greatest crisis facing a church is spiritual. The greatest crisis facing our country at this time is spiritual. Listen to what the psalmist said, Psalm 67. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health among all nations. And a few years ago, I preached a sermon that I entitled The Spiritual Health of the Church and the Country. And do you know that the spiritual health of the church impacts upon the life of the country? A healthy church a healthy country, but the opposite is true, an unhealthy church. Then you've got an unhealthy country. And the drought in Jeremiah's day, that the time of dearth was due to what? It was due to the sin of the professing church in that day. He said in prayer, our iniquities 
testify against us. There was many sins in the land of Judah. He says our backslidings are many. Judah was guilty of spiritual unfaithfulness to the Lord. On the one hand, they professed his name. They engaged in worship. They went to the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices. But in reality, their heart was far from the Lord. In reality, they gave their affections to another. And not only think about the nature of their sin, but think of the number. Many. They, they sinned in a multiplied, in a variety of ways. One sin led to another. One sin prepared the way for another sin. Many of these sins were legalized. Many of these sins, there was laws passed. The king on the throne, the, the, the princes in the land, they were behind the introduction of these laws, laws that legalized sinfulness. Did you know that in the days of Omri, Omri was Ahab's father, certain laws were passed. The Bible talks about the decrees of Omri. Not only were their sins, we could think of their nature and think of their number, but think of the nefariousness of their sin. Because all sin remembers against the Lord and against his law. That's what sin is. Sin is the transgression of the law. Turning their back on one who is all wise, one who gives every blessing freely to enjoy, one who is able to enrich his people. In life, health and strength, the gift of food, breath, and, and a thousand other blessings. Now listen to Jeremiah, what he says. Why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land? And as a wafering man that turneth aside to tarry for a night, why shouldest thou be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save? Despite the Lord's blessing and goodness and what he's able to do, Here's Jeremiah having made this confession. He's got this humbling concern in his heart. He senses, here's the heart of the issue. Remember, he's speaking to the Lord in prayer. He's pouring out his heart to the Lord. He's burdened, he's broken, but he asks these four questions. He raises these queries because he recognizes we're not in a political crisis, a constitutional, an economic, a moral crisis. We're actually in a spiritual crisis. And until that is dealt with, there's no hope or answer for the country. That's what we're thinking about this morning. Three things, quickly. The spiritual analysis that must be understood. Look at 8a and, or 8b and 9a. Jeremiah puts his finger in the heart of Judah's problem. He uses four similes. Why shouldest thou be a stranger in the land? One. Two. Why art thou as a wearfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Two. Why shouldest thou be as a man astonished? Three. Why shouldest thou be as a mighty man that cannot save? Now, now think of these four questions here using these similes. Think of Jeremiah as he raises the questions. It betrays the attitude of the professing church to the Lord and her relationship to him. You see, they had poor views of the Lord. They had low views of God. Some of them had no view of God at all. And what applies to the Lord 
applies to the Lord, the law. They had lost sight of who the Lord is. They had lost sight of the law of God. They had no perception of the Lord in his person and work. They had no perception of the, his law. What Jeremiah is basically saying is, the Lord is a stranger to us. Can I ask the question this morning? Is the Lord a stranger to you? So that you do not know him. You don't recognize him for who and what he is. You see, gone are the days when the psalmist said, when God is known in our palaces for a refuge. The palace, the king, and those in authority have God as their refuge. Psalm 48 and 3. Those in the throne room, those in government, those in civil magistrate, in a time past, all professed to know the Lord. You see, the knowledge of God impacts in your life and mine. It impacts on their life. It impacts in the life of the nation. When God is known, then the Spirit of God is at work. Hearts and lives are redeemed by blood. That There's no longer a, a, a life of godlessness that prevails. It's now godliness. It's now a life of righteousness. It's now rejoicing. It's now a time of plenty. There's a place and a person to resort to. An all-wise and good God who can deal with every problem and every calamity. Because the Bible says the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And know of them that trusteth in him. Young people, can I stress to you the importance of the knowledge of God? The knowledge of God is paramount to true Bible believing Christianity. Remember what the Lord Jesus prayed in John 17 and in verse 3. In his high priestly prayer, he said, And this is life eternal, that they might know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You see, if a man is redeemed by precious blood... And genuinely saved by the grace of God. Then one of the hallmarks will be his spirituality. Will be a longing to know the Lord more and more. Over there in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Remember the apostle Paul said. That I might know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. That was 30 years after he was saved. A longing to know the Lord better in a deeper and a greater way. And it's, it, it it's enables you to live a life of power and victory. And the attitude is the cross before me. The world behind me. And he lives within the shadow of the cross. He loves the Lord. He lives in an atmosphere of prayer. He's loyal to him. The Lord is not a stranger. Remember Daniel eleven thirty three talks about the man who knows the Lord is spiritually strong. They that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. They'll stand for him. People that do know their God shall be strong and, and do exploits. They'll be spiritually strong in dark days and days of apostasy. Now here's the question. Is this true of you? Do you know him? Or is the Lord a stranger to you? I was thinking of Psalm 76 verse 1. It says in Judah, God is known. Can we say that in Ulster today? In Ulster, 
God is known. You see, we thank God for a remnant. But are you a part of that remnant that no one loved the Lord? I was thinking, just mentioning this on Friday night, Tandra Gee, the Shankill Road, Greater Shankill area in the heartland of Protestant Belfast, only one out of a hundred attend any church. And I want to tell you, that's one of the ways that the indication is that spiritual life in Northern Ireland is not good. It's not in a healthy state. The Lord has largely withdrawn the great sense of his glorious presence. Years ago, Robert Murray McShane asked the question, is God a stranger in Scotland? Here's the answer, he is, in relation to the professing church. Here's the evidence that McShane gave at that time. That was the Church of Scotland in his day. One, few conversions to Christ. Two, few awakened to a sense of their sin, fleeing the wrath to come. Three, an increase of boldness on behalf of the sinner in their sin, not ashamed to blush. Faces like brass, boastful when it comes to sin. I, I think, and I say this, the dancing of Claire Bailey, the leader of the Green Party, when the bill was passed to censor those that would pray and preach and protest outside abortion clinics and hospitals. Imagine to stop people praying and preaching the word of God and exercising pastor and to dance to that and cheer and clap as if it was a, a great thing. Is that not evidence of the boldness of sinners and their sin? What about the, the apathy and deadness of the professing church? Many don't seem to care. Many are, are not moved at all by these things that are happening. What about apostasy and false doctrine? Does false teaching not abound in our day? Is there not also an ignorance of fundamental doctrine? Hosea 4 and 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And here's another evidence. Low church attendance. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And is there not a marked absence of no longer attending any house of God? And, 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 and what's happening in the greater Shankill area is just evidence of what's happening right across this province. And these seven things that were evidenced in McShane's day were true in Scotland in his time, but they're true in Northern Ireland today. And here's the tragic impact of sin and backsliding. It causes the Lord to be viewed and treated as a stranger. And it causes him to withdraw the glorious conscious sense of his presence. And without his blessing and input, the knowledge of him is receding. It diminishes. And there's few that seem to care. Notice the simile goes on. Why shouldest thou be? As a wafering man that turneth aside to tarry for a night. Do you get the picture? Think of a man on a journey. And he's turning aside just to tarry for, for one night. He's just an occasional visitor. He, he's a one-nighter. He's not going to stay for long. So he, he comes at the inn at night. And the owner doesn't hold him in high regard. He doesn't count him as much worth. He, he doesn't give him much attention. You see, he doesn't really want the one-nighter. He would rather have the three or four-nighter. 
They're better paying guests. They, they, they have meals and, and, and they consume beverages. A wafering man is one who's not really wanted. And is that not true of the Lord? A, a, a great lack of passion for him. No, no real place of acceptance for him. The, the problem has to do with the heart and the mind. There's no real love for him. No real longing for him. Well, we'll just use the Lord occasionally when we're in trouble. And we'll call on him to help in time of need. But he's not really wanted. There's no urging of him to, to abide with us. There's no urging of him to, to come by us. Oh, there's a passion for self. A life of ease. Things of fleshly gratification. But no place for him. No place for prayer. Is there not a shutting down of the prayer meetings today? Spirit of slothfulness. No place for the word. Less and less the Bible is being read in the house of God. Less and less is the Bible being read in homes. Less and less is the Bible being preached upon from the pulpit. Matthew 4 and 4 comes to mind. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And yet the central place has to be for the Lord. Matthew 6 and 33, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Why? Because the Bible says, um, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be known unto you. You see, sadly, people are full of their own thoughts, their ideas, their standards, their concepts. We don't need the Lord. We don't need to go by the book. We can carry on by ourselves. We don't need him. We don't want his way, his word, his will. And isn't that tragic? The professing church, is these not the days of the church of the Laodicean? Listen to what we read in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and of need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. These were spoken to the church of the Laodiceans. It was as if the church belonged to them, not the Lord. Notice the third simile here. Why shouldest thou be as a man astonished? Do you know what that means? It means as one who's turned to stone. You, you think of a statue. That's, that's how they looked upon the Lord. Without feeling and heart and love, cold and lifeless. Look at the fourth simile. As a mighty man that cannot save. Here's the attitude. The Lord is unable to work. The Lord has got no intention, no desire, no ability. And that attitude prevails in the church of Jesus Christ to this day. We might as well close up. We might as well give up. There's nothing going to happen. There's never going to be revival. Yet, God is good. God is great in power. God is gracious. And the mindset is, but, but he's not able, he's not willing. This world is so evil. The, the 
The, the leaders are so bent in their wickedness. Governments are so corrupt and powerful. It's all about control. And they are attempting to control our minds and our lives. Nothing's going to happen. Many view the professing church as on life support, hanging on by the skin of its teeth. You see, this is the spiritual analysis that must be understood. Do you share Jeremiah's concern? Ask yourselves these questions. Is God a stranger to us now in the free Presbyterian church? Is God as a wafering man to us? Is God like a stone statue? Is God as a mighty man, but he's unable to work? Or do you sense your need of him? Your dependence on him? Do you turn to him in Christ's name and cry, Lord, have mercy? Lord, we confess our sin, the sin of the nation. Or are we just going to continue living without a reference to the Lord? Remember, he's maker, he's redeemer, he's sustainer, he's provider. Without him we are and have nothing. That's the spiritual analysis that must be understood. I want you to think secondly and very quickly here, the, the spiritual answer that's unique. Look at 8a. It says here, O hope of Israel, the saviour thereof, in time of trouble. What's the answer? Remembering, recognizing, having a regard and receiving the Lord's person. Oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble. Jeremiah says in chapter 17 and verse 13, similar words. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. And they that depart from me shall be written in the earth because they've forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. There's a need to, to turn to him. Remember, Psalmist said, For thou art my hope. In thee have I put my trust from my youth. Have you turned to the Lord? Are you trusting in him? Do you see him as the only one who can help? The hope of Israel, the hope of the church. Paul recognized this in Acts 28, verse 20, because he called Jesus Christ the hope of Israel, the Lord's person, the Lord's presence. In this prayer, Jeremiah says, O Lord, yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us. Do, do you see that there? The Lord is in the midst, even now this morning. He's omnipresent. He sees and knows all that's going on. He watches and observes. But where's the conscious reality of his presence? Is it not being withheld? Now the Lord is still there. He's with his people. He hasn't gone away. And there is visible tokens of his blessing. But all we need to recognize that what we need is, is the consciousness of that reality. To live, to be gripped with the fear and the dread of him. Then you've got the Lord's people here. We are called by thy name. In the margin it means thy name is called upon us. You see, thank God there's a remnant. Jeremiah was one, but only a tiny remnant in Judah who hadn't defiled his name, who didn't despise his name, who delighted in his name. You've got to ask yourself, have I remembered and recognized and have a regard and received the Lord's person, the Lord's presence, that he's with me, and that his name is upon me. I'm a Christian. 
I'm called after him. And what about recognizing the Lord's power, the Savior thereof in time of trouble? Oh, that we could turn to him this morning. Oh, that we could talk to him. Oh, that we would spend time with him and say, Lord, we need you. Lord, we bow the knee to you. Our only hope is in thee. We recognize you. We have a regard for you. We want to receive you so that we can know your power and your blessing and your help. If he saved others, if he's the savior of Israel, then he can save me. He can save our church. He can save our country. That's the spiritual answer that must be unique. It's the only answer. And notice lastly, the spiritual access that must be utilized. If you look at the end of verse 9, there's three words come to mind. Leave us not. You see, in Jeremiah's prayer, he pleads with the Lord. Leave us not. He knows that the church and the country is in a barren state. He knows the root causes that we have been blemished because of sin. He thinks of all the political shenanigans, the constitutional crisis, the state of the economy, the moral uh, malady of the land. And he takes it seriously. And he puts his finger on the pulse. And he recognizes that he has access to the Lord's throne. And he uses that by making this plea, leave us not. Do you know that the Lord can leave a church so that the light goes out and Ichabod is written on the door? Do you know that the Lord can leave a country to its own ways and devices to bring it into judgment? Didn't he do that with Israel? Didn't he do it with Judah? Hasn't he done it with other lands? Notice he says in verse 7, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. What is the it? Part of it is that the Lord would return with power and blessing. That the Lord would come and send a glorious revival of true Bible-believing religion to Judah. Do you long for divine intervention and help? Then what do we need to do? Well, we need to pray. The spiritual access that must be utilized. And in prayer we say to the Lord, leave us not. You see, remember the prayer meeting is important. Public prayer. Private prayer. It's a sin not to pray. And set aside time every day, people, and discipline yourself to pray. And if you say, but I'm too busy, I could say I'm too busy. But if I'm too busy to pray, then I'm too busy. Spend maybe 20 to 30 minutes each day before the Lord and pray for the well-being of the church. Because a healthy church depends on a healthy country. And I know we live in a day of false prophets. And I know they're part of the problem. And the Lord knows that. But we need God's eyesight. We need God's eyesalf. We must confess our sin. We must confess our need of him. And not only give ourselves to public prayer, but private prayer. Because this is a reality. God can leave a church. God can write a in the door. 
And therefore we must pray, leave us not. This is part of that second sermon in Jeremiah. You've already guessed that. I've changed the title from a blessed prayer for broken prophet to this, the greatest crisis facing a church in a country. Let's analyze what it is. Let's seek the answer. The answer is the hope of Israel, the Lord himself, the Savior. And let's go to that throne room and cry. Lord, leave us not. Because if the Lord leaves us, it'll be only time before Ichabod's on the door. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for listening.